1: Toyota, let's go places. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, which means that you're listening to Stuff You Should Know. All right, as straight ahead as you've been in a long time, my friend. Yes. Very nice. Thanks. You think? Yeah. I try to mix it up every once in a while. Well, consider it mixed. Thanks. Um, I will, as a matter of fact, from this point forward. <laughs> Chuck, um, quick, who discovered... America,
2: Christopher Columbus.
0: That's wrong, Chuck. Is it? Yeah, even if you uh, qualify it by saying what European discovered America, right? Uh, Columbus was beaten by a good five hundred years by the Norse, mm-hmm. right? Who found uh, who were in Newfoundland. That's not what we were taught in history. N- in definitely Elementary not. school. There's no Norse Day. No, no. That'd be awesome, actually. No Leif Erikson Day. I don't think there is. Mm. Not in the not U.S. Here, no. Um, and there's also evidence that the Norse were beaten by a good five hundred years by an Irish monk who used a rowboat to make it from Ireland over to North America. Wow. And he wrote about it and um the tenacious monk, was that his name? Tenacious. yeah. That's what I would call him. Yeah. Well yeah, at the very least, or if not the the completely insane monk. Right. The but soggy he, monk. He came back and, and wrote about it and draw or drew some uh, maps, I believe. He
2: drawed some maps.
0: He drawed some <laughs> maps. And um there so there is some sort of evidence that uh that he made contact with these people. Apparently the Norse described meeting people who um were dressed like monks that they had met. So this guy might have come over and been like, You guys are dressed all wrong here. We need to church you up. Right.
2: They didn't pillage as well as the uh, Europeans did, though, in Columbus and the Kansas. That
0: single Irish monk? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he felt outnumbered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if, if you qualify who, what European discovered America, there's debate right there. Um, there's evidence that the Chinese beat Columbus by 70 years. I should say there's some evidence that's highly questionable. And also, by the way, you can read an article I wrote on the Irish monk, and an article I wrote on the Chinese beating Columbus. No wonder you know
2: all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever hear the Louis C.K. bit on uh, Indian giving? No. You want to hear it? Yeah. It's awesome. He's talking about basically the Indian giving is probably the most offensive thing you can say on earth, <laughs> yeah. because it implies that we like they gave us the land and that, or we get <laughs> that we wanted it back and they wouldn't give it back, and uh, he's he's talking about the. Uh, the settlers coming over and saying can we have ev- everything <laughs> and the indian said well we don't really have we just use it and enjoy it and share it and then we started killing everybody and He does like a knife thing and the indian says dude if this is what have is can we not do that <laughs> it's really good
0: i love that guy oh he's great and because chuck just paraphrased everything that's not
2: copyright infringement no i don't think so
0: okay so chuck we, we've we've Clearly ruled out Christopher Columbus as the discoverer of North America, right? Yes. Um, who did discover North America, though? You have to ask this question. Let's say Columbus comes over. He thinks he's in India. And uh, he shows up and he's like, hey, you guys are Indians, but you, you look a little crazy, you know? And finally comes to realize that he's not in India, that he's just discovered this new place. Right. But... That immediately begs another question that I'm sure it took a little while for people to come up with because they were so excited that they just discovered this whole new landmass.
2: An awesome landmass.
0: Yeah, the best landmass. Yeah. Um, But the question had to eventually come up, like, wait a minute, where did these people come from?
2: How did they get there?
0: How did they get there? Yeah. For millennia, there was a theory, a widely accepted theory, uh, in both the public and scientific lives. um. Of spontaneous generation, right? Like, just if you put left meat out too long and it started to rot, uh, flies showed up. Mm-hmm. So, rotting meat gave rise to flies. Right. Uh, the same with moldy grain uh, giving life to um, mice. Right. Generally, people thought that there was a life force that could spontaneously produce life, and that some some inanimate objects were associated with giving rise to. Certain animate objects,
2: right? And that was the case in North America, they theorized? I don't
0: know that, right? But in 1864, Louis Pasteur definitively proved that there was no life force that gave rise to, um, life. Right. That if you put a, if you sterilized a broth and put it in a flask and kept it sterile, life didn't spontaneously originate there. Right. So he definitively disproved it. So if people did think that the Native Americans in North and South America and Central America did spontaneously generate. Pasteur proved that that wouldn't have happened. So, so there's, there's one left with the gone. question: Where in the name of God did these people come from? Right.
2: How long had they been there? That's an awesome question. I love this article. I thought it was really really interesting. Thanks. The Clovis. Y- well, yes, that was the first theory that. uh Well, not the first, but it was widely held for quite a while.
0: Yeah. Um. Actually, in the Couple first couple decades, actually in 1906, I believe 1908, there was a terrible flood in southern New Mexico, uh-huh. and uh, it killed a lot of people, a lot of cattle. Uh, which in 1908 in southern New Mexico, cattle and people were on par, right? Um, and it also washed up a bunch of weird artifacts, a yes. lot of weird, um, clear, clearly Indian spearheads, arrowheads, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. And was this in Clovis? It was near Clovis okay. Folsom I believe right. was, Folsom the was the first site one. that they found. Correct. Um so people started, you know, kind of collecting these things and word got out that you could find inexplicable or uncommon spearheads. Yeah, very southern distinct New Mexico
2: spearheads as it turns out. Yeah. The Clovis point.
0: Yes. That, that's not what it was called yet. People were just like, look at this crazy thing. Right. That's what I think they called <laughs> okay, it, right? Sure. Um, and then over the course of the next couple of decades, more and more, um, archaeological research was done. Uh, a guy named, um, Ridge Whitman. Ridge Whitman. Yeah. Isn't that a cool, like, 1920s name? No, he was just a dude in, in yeah. New Mexico. Um, he found, uh, one of these very characteristic, uh, spearheads in the bones of a bison. Uh huh. Right? So things are starting to come together. Sure, technically. The 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 tipping point is reached, as Malcolm Gladwell would put it would put it. Uh, in nineteen thirty two when the state of New Mexico was digging a highway and they started excavating near um Clovis right. and just found a whole trove of stuff. Bones, spearheads,
2: the whole th- the whole shebang. Yeah, it really gave us a lot of info.
0: And a guy who was excavating nearby, Doctor Eg- Edgar B. Howard, he was excavating for mammoth bones in a cave nearby. Was he the guy that was all mad because they moved the uh, spear points? That was a different guy. Oh, that okay. had happened about ten years earlier. Gotcha. You, you tell tell them about that because that's significant. That, well, that people... kind of le- it demonstrates the mentality that's going on at the time. Here. Yeah,
2: they found uh, some spear points, and I guess they picked it up or something. Which is like a crime scene. You're not supposed to touch anything, evidently. And uh, he came up on the scene and he started, you know, he pitched a little hissy fit because it's out of context now. It doesn't really tell us that much. It was.
0: And and pretty much the guy who ruled on whether or not um, archaeological evidence was archaeological evidence. I can't remember his name, but he worked for the Smithsonian as a physical anthropologist. Uh Uh, He said... Sorry they touched it right. I didn't see it it could have been placed there I'm not accepting it.
2: Right but they found something later and left it intact
0: right? Right the, About yes. 10 years later or something. Yeah. and this is this is when all of it starts to take off in 1932 right? right. So all of a sudden they they figure out that there, this These spear points had never been seen before anywhere else. Mm -hmm. They have no idea where these things came from. They just knew they were very, very old because, like, the bison bones that they were found within, it was an extinct bison and had been extinct for about 10,000 years. All of a sudden it's becoming clear that these people predate any settlement that we'd been aware of. Right, or
2: known as Native American.
0: Or Paleo-Indians. Wow, look at you. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I I have a minor in anthropology. Sure, of course.
2: Um, And so – all of a
0: sudden, people are saying, "Okay, well, these Clovis were the first Americans." And in the fifties, when uh, radio, um, radio carbon dating yeah, came that, about, yeah. that that proved definitively that these people were old, as old as you would think eleven thousand two hundred years ago is what they dated at. Yeah, and how do you do that, Chuck, with radiocarbon dating? I have no idea. All right. Well, what they do is they they actually take soil samples. Something to do with the isotopes, right? And the soil strata. right. They measure the the age of the um, carbon isotopes, the C14 carbon isotopes present in the soil.
2: Right, around the artifact.
0: Right. And the artifacts have to be laid out in a certain way. Like there can't be evidence that it was buried. Humans, when we make a camp, Mm -hmm. uh, or when we did 12,000, 10,000 years ago, when we made a camp uh, and just left it, there were very telltale signs, right? So things weren't buried; it, they're just kind of laid about,
2: right? That's what was going on there when they right. were extinct or whatever. So to if there,
0: if that's how the site is presented, mm-hmm. then you can measure the soil and say, okay, well the the carbon isotopes in the soil are eleven thousand years old. Right. That means that this site was above ground and just left eleven thousand years ago. Right. right? So that proved that the Clovis were around 11,200 years ago,
2: right? Yes, which is old and definitely pre-Native uh, American. So how did they get here? Well, uh, the Clovis first camp, which was, it sounds to me like they're a uh, very angry bunch of people. They eventually or, became or very, very protective, angry. at least, of their they, information. They came to
0: be called the Clovis police. Yeah, I like that name.
2: Yeah. Or what was the...
0: Uh... I wonder if the Clovis New Mexico police like it. <laughs> if they're like, that's us, dude. <laughs> or the Clovis barrier. They they created this Clovis barrier. Yeah. Basically, anybody who had any other competing theory or idea was an idiot. and right. They had lockdown on on the academic view. Right. Of the origin of life in in North America.
2: So, getting back to your question, where did they come from, and how did they get there? Mm-hmm. The general theory was that they uh, basically walked during the middle of the the ice age. Which I can't imagine living during an ice age. Could you imagine like crossing the bearing? Was it called the Bering Strait Bridge? The Bering Land Bridge. The Bering Land Bridge yeah. is how they got here, supposedly, which is only about a mile wide. Right. And is now beneath the ocean of the Bering Strait. Uh-huh. And that that's how they migrated from Siberia to, I guess, what would be like Canada. Uh-huh. And Alaska. And Alaska. And then found their way down to, eventually, the southeastern United States.
0: And because of that... Um the, so they walked here. There was actually a very, sh- a very brief, as far as the uh, the timeline of history goes, there was a very brief moment in mm-hmm. history where the Bering Land Bridge was exposed, and where the Laurentide Ice Sheet that covers like northern Canada and Alaska right. did at the time was receded enough to f- to allow passage between it and a, a
2: nearby glacier. Can you imagine how scary that was, though. I imagine it was kind of scary, but so it was only they- a mile wide, though. It's not like. It wasn't a pleasure walk. It wasn't a stroll. No, but, and and
0: you raise a good question. Like, why would you do that? Sure. Why? Food. Food, exactly. Mas- Mastodon,
2: baby, your favorite band. <laughs> the Clo Mastodon <laughs> Metal. And uh, the Woolly Mammoth, that was the theory, is that they were dependent in, on these animals as their, one of their sole. Uh, Sources of meat, I guess.
0: Right. It was very clear based just on their spear points and their arrowheads. Right. The Clovis were extremely
2: advanced big game hunters. Yeah, they were hafted, which I had to look that up. Mm -hmm. It's actually when they attach um, something to a handle. So it's either attached to a bow Uh or a spear shaft or an axe handle. Right. And uh, that means you can throw it. Yes, or shoot it. Which is how you need to kill a mammoth. You can't just walk up to it and stab it.
0: You also need a lot of coordination, planning, mm-hmm. cooperation oh,
2: yeah. to take down a, a
0: mammoth, a mastodon, or one of these extinct bison. And also, I read um, the point was made, like they, they were definitely big game hunters, Yeah, but they um, they would take small game too,
2: or medium-sized game like deer, or antelope, or whatever. That's what I wondered, because they made a big point about the fact that, that one of the reasons they may have uh, become extinct was that the mammoth and mastodon were over over hunted. Chuck, you have just brought everything to the fore—the Pleistocene overkill hypothesis. Yes, Chuck. What
0: this is, and this is one of the reasons why the Clovis barrier was so supported, right? And so able to just lock down academia um, was because it—it it was a cautionary tale mm-hmm. about
2: ecological collapse. Right. But I just—I don't get that. Not every animal—they couldn't have overhunted every animal. Just because they overhunted the mastodon and the mammoth, right. Why not skip down to the lower, uh, smaller animals? That's that's an excellent point. That's something that that's
0: that's a question that hasn't been satisfied by or wasn't satisfied by right. the Clovis police. Sure, they basically were saying. The Clovis came down from; they came across the land bridge from Siberia, mm-hmm. down through North America, got to the Great Plains, overhunted the mastodon, the bison, and, and followed the, them around wherever they the mammoth, migrated, right? Sure, and um, killed them off, and eventually that led to the the extinction of their own kind. Because the the what's really interesting and curious about the Clovis is they appear out of nowhere yeah. in North America, An it, and actually like south and eastern North America, and mm-hmm. clearly New Mexico. And over the period of 500 years, they pop up out of nowhere, and they disappear into the ether. Yeah. They just show up, and they're gone. There's no evidence of any technology leading up to them. Like, you can't see a progression of fluted spearheads... That show like these people are figuring out how to make the Clovis point, and then you don't see any refining of it or continuation of it after this 500 year period. So these people, like if you're if you're looking at it just uh, on the timeline of history Mm -hmm. and archaeologically, they pop up in the middle of North America out of nowhere and then
2: just disappear.
0: Pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, maybe they were aliens. It's entirely possible, Chuck.
2: Uh, There is another theory though about why they may have vanished. Clovis Comet Theory. Let's hear it. Uh, It's also called the Younger Dryas Impact Event, and this is just a few years old. Um, Some people theorize that a comet exploded above the Earth's atmosphere around the Great Lakes and basically caught most of North America on fire. Sweet! And not only killed the Mastodon and the Mammoth, but the Clovis. And there's a little bit of evidence of this. Uh, They found a a charred, carbon-rich layer of soil at 50 different uh, Clovis-age sites, And it contained a bunch of unusual stuff in it that they interpreted as like an impact event.
0: Is that the scientific term for that stuff? An unusual stuff.
2: Unusual materials. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Like what? Like what unusual materials? Don't ask me that.
2: Like stuff that you would find in a comet. Uh, Stuff that would indicate there was an impact event. I guess like a meteor impact landing stuff like that. That's awesome. But that's been refuted too. Like you know. Curses! That's why I love all this stuff. There's all these theories that make sense, and then some other. Person comes along and pokes holes in it, and then you're back at square one.
0: All right, so the, but that's not how it went with the Clovis barrier. Like it was fact, as far sure. as anybody was concerned. You had radiocarbon dating, right? You had um, no other evidence of of any earlier settlement in North um, or in the Americas at all. Um, and any anybody who put forth a hypothesis other than that was poo pooed, and they were very successful at controlling the origin of life in North America, or in the Americas, Mm -hmm. for several decades. And then they gave it up and became Scientologists. (laughs) Right, yeah. Until 1975. Mm -hmm. That was the beginning of the end of the Clovis First Theory. Yeah, sadly. Maybe, maybe not. Because really, the whole reason that you're looking, the whole reason you're spending decades excavating a single
2: site, mm-hmm. is to find out the truth. Like we have to know who was first. We have to know. See, I'm not, I'm not in that camp. I know you made a point in your article that's not really that important. Who was first? Is that wasn't that just like such a hippie ending? Was, that I tossed on there. I kind of liked it though. It's uh, everyone, like I, I got made up a and, contribution
0: like, <laughs> afterward. Yeah.
2: We should respect the Clovis man just because yeah. they weren't first. They gave us the. Hafted fluted spear.
0: Yeah. I was listening to
2: uh, Hands Across America the whole time I was right. writing this. Good. So, uh, are we going to, down south? Let's go down south, Chuck. To Monte Verde? Yes. Okay. Chile? Yeah. Yeah, that was a. The, well, one of the early theories of the Clovis is that they migrated from south to north. No, north to south. They came down. No, originally, the, but didn't didn't they later go on to say? But wait, it looks like they went from south to north. That's what Monte Verde did. Oh, okay. There was a University of Kentucky
0: archaeologist named Tom Dillahay who dedicated uh, 25 years of his life mm-hmm. to a single settlement in Chile, out, outside of Monte Verde, Chile. What a loser! <laughs> <laughs> but this guy managed to quietly and methodically destroy the Clovis first theory. I know. And even better, he brought the Clovis police down to Chile mm-hmm. after he presented his final findings and said,
2: "Yeah, that <laughs> they were." That was a sad day for the Clovis police. I think it was. They had to turn in their badges and their uniforms and their little billy clubs. Yeah, they all retired and went yeah. fishing
0: in Florida. So what happened, Chuck? What did what did uh, find in Monte Verde? Well, he
2: found uh, he found he found that predated him. <laughs> Irrefutable evidence is another way to put it. Well, that's the non uh, cursing way to put it, sure. Uh, Sure. So, you want to know what they found? Yes. They found hearse of wood with knotted strings attached, which was no accident. It meant that a human being uh, tied some string around it.
0: Well, not only that, they also found um, leftover mastodon flesh. Oh, really? Preserved. This is what Mont Verde is just so. This is how archaeology advances by leaps and bounds by accident. Sure. Monte um the site, is a bog, um, and it actually preserved this wood, string, mastodon flesh. Right. Preserved it beautifully um, because it's an oxygen-depleted uh, environment.
2: Right, and it was 12,500 years old.
0: That's what radiocarbon dating showed. Mm-hmm. So first of all, you have the fact that um, it's clearly th- these hearths, these... Um, the the knotted string all this right. stuff it was clearly presented in a way that this was a settlement it was mm-hmm. a camp they estimated it housed like twenty to thirty people right um, even like the tent pegs are left in the ground that's pretty cool so it wasn't buried right it was just left right and then when the radiocarbon dating proved that yeah it was twelve thousand five hundred years old so they had a good millennium but on the Clovis it still doesn't answer how they got there no it doesn't as a matter of fact it raises even more questions Very because much so. What what the Clovis police said was, well, okay, that's fine, that's fine. We'll give you Monteverde jerks. But, but how they get here? Here, here's the. This is one thing that was never addressed with the Clovis by the Clovis uh-huh. police is why weren't there any evidence of Clovis settlements along the way from uh, Siberia right. to Canada? Alaska to the southeast, the Great Plains. There aren't any because right. if you come across, if you come down Alaska and Canada into North America, you hit the Great Plains. And brother, there was really good hunting around there ten thousand years ago. You're going to have campsites. You're going yeah. to have some evidence. There was nothing like maybe we they said. Haven't they found it though. Up. Is that plausible? It is totally plausible. I think that's how the Clovis first theory was able to stand for so long, is because maybe we just haven't found it yet. But right. Whatever. But this Monte Verde theory turns it on its ear. Sure. Because instead of from north to south, it suggests they went from south to north. And it
2: was 1,300 years older. Yes. But I like your theory of how they got here. Boats. It's
0: not a theory. <laughs> it's not my theory. They've, it's a, it's a hypothesis
2: that other people have suggested as sure. well. Because the same thing happened uh, in Australia, right? Yeah, well, th- possibly. Uh, think about it.
0: Australia has been a continent a, – a, a, Unattached continent for 50 million years. Yes. Uh, They believe, archaeologists, anthropologists believe that um, the aborigines in Australia... Got there about sixty thousand years ago, which means they would have had to have parachuted in, or come by boat, or swam. Yeah,
2: I think boats the most plausible, and you it have definitely little is. islands along the way that you could stage, and uh
0: yeah, you can island
2: hop over there. Yeah, I
0: mean, there's some pretty horrible journeys along the way. Sure,
2: but it's entirely possible. Right, and the theory is that that could have, same thing could have happened to the. uh the folks in Monte Verde.
0: It's true. Or the other the other way to look at it is there's a lot of people who still believe that they came from a north to south migration pattern. Right. But that they just came a lot earlier. So they went north to south and then back up. Okay. That makes sense. It does. Um the the fly in that ointment is this. There's another site found at Monte Verde that is being excavated now, I'm pretty sure Dillahay was like, I'm out, I'm out, I did my thing, right. you guys
2: take this over. It's been 25 years.
0: Yeah, but they found another camp nearby, or evidence of more human activity nearby, that's dated to about 33,000 30, years ago. Which turns this
2: on its ear. Yes. So does that hold to the theory of the waves of migration that you were talking about in the article?
0: <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I think that I've also heard there's a lot of um archaeological sites that are underwater right now, they're sure. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, uh, once the ice age has ended, the water levels rose. And who knows what's, uh, uh, you know, underwater along our coasts. Right. and There, there could be definitive evidence sure. that they came by boat. You, we have no idea, ultimately. Right. We just know that the Clovis weren't. The first people here, although they and how they they left, why how, why they vanished, still don't know. It's it's very interesting. But there there was it looks like, people in Chile, thirty three thousand years ago.
2: Wow, which goes to prove, Columbus did not discover America. Right, full circle. What does this all have to do with me and you living here in Atlanta today? Nothing, on Clovis ground. Yeah, they potentially. Were here. It has nothing to do with us. That were they in Georgia? They said southeast. Mm-hmm. Oh. And and Carolina. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're just a couple of schlubs here in two thousand nine, eh?
0: Yeah, and and you ask really there, other than the pursuit of knowledge, other than the pursuit of definitive truth, right? The, it really doesn't apply to us, but it is fascinating.
2: Yeah, I and there's defy no reason you to say that it's not. I think you could argue that all of archaeology is, I'm not saying pointless, but because uh, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. But what are you doing besides trying to find the truth? And there's value in that. Sure. There's definite value in it. But it's not like they're going to find some ancient cure for cancer, or will they?
0: I don't know. That'd we'll cool. find out. They'll right. keep digging in the meantime, because i got to tell you, Chuck, most archaeologists could care less what you and I think about their yeah. field.
2: I <laughs> know. I'm sure we'll get some uh, emails about this.
0: Well, since I just said most archaeologists could care less, that means it's time, Chuck, Oh yeah, if you want to read this article, you can type uh, Clovis into the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, which now means
2: it's time for listener mail. So Josh, before we have listener mail, okay, we want to talk about something we're excited about. I'm excited about a lot of stuff you're going to have to specify. Don't switch off your podcast here, people. This is really good. Uh, you recall during the micro lending uh, episode, sure, we talked about an awesome website, kiva.org, Right, K I V A. Yeah, and that is where you can donate money, twenty five dollar minimum, to satisfy these micro loans for needy people all over the world. Uh, needy entrepreneurs, needy entrepreneurs. Right? Yes, it's not a. Yeah, it's sure. not. It's not a charity. Like you're, you're going to help right. fund their enterprises. So if you haven't listened to that episode, give it a listen. And we found out through Kiva you could start a team. And then we started searching around and Mm -hmm. found out
0: Denmark has a team Denmark has a team Uh, A lot of corporations have teams Gay, lesbian, and bisexuals have a team
2: Sure Uh, Who else? Well, the Colbert Nation Stephen Colbert has a team Oh, that's right And we saw that and we thought Hey, they're lame They're Mm -hmm. not raising much money no, there's like 100 members last time
0: I checked, and they've raised like six grand, which I guess is pretty good for 100 members, but I think we can top that We can easy. definitely top that.
2: And we have people that write in and talk about the fact this is a free podcast and they wish there was something they could do. Mm-hmm. Well, now you can go to Kiva.org, join the Stuff You Should Know team under Community, mm-hmm. uh, sign up and join the team, and start donating, and we can start satisfying some of these loans. I love satisfying things. And well, uh, We'll keep up with this through the blog and kind of let people know and uh, how many loans we've satisfied. And we're going to keep our eye out for Colbert. Yeah, this is not going to be some
0: throwaway poo-poo idea that like you know we no. came up with and forgot about like Colbert. We're in this for the
2: long run. Boom! We're going to put it on the blog, and uh, we want the stuff you should know team to to satisfy these loans. And you can get paid back. That's a cool thing. You can give fifty bucks, and if you want, you can once a loan is repaid, you can get that money back. Yeah, you can take it and run. Or, buy some donuts with it. Or you can reinvest it, or you can just donate it to the Kiva Foundation as a whole.
0: Either way, you're helping people in the developing world, again, yes. fund their own enterprises yep.
2: uh, in, a, in an effort to become self-sufficient. For a lousy 25 bucks.
0: Plus, you're like a hair's breadth away from Muhammad Yunus. Right.
2: I mean, he's right there next to you. Cool. Yeah. So go to Kiva.org, check out the Stuff You Should Know team, and uh, join up. And we're going to keep up with it on the blog and, and through the podcast. And we will shame you if you haven't joined. Chuck, this is a great idea. Thank you, Chuck. It was a really good idea, man. All right. So now listener mail. Uh, I'm going to just do this one since we're short on time. This uh, You asked people to write in. Um, after the Bhutan uh, gross national happiness. Yeah,
0: we've gotten a lot of good responses from that. This is the uh, best everybody, one. Everyone who's written in has this nice, mellow, even keel uh, tone. Yeah, Nobody's been
2: like, help me. <laughs> right. <laughs> especially this guy. I like Chris. Chris says, uh, in answer to your request for someone who has left the rat race of the American money chase, I think I qualify. I live on a commune. He says in a commune. I almost thought it was on. <laughs> he lives in a commune and files taxes under the IRS code 501D. Which, I don't even know what that is. I've only heard of 501c3. It sounds like some sort of a hippie thing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I've lived in this commune with my wife for close to 15 years. Before moving in, I grew up in another commune whose income was solely based on donations. So, all in all, you could say I've always lived with a yearly salary under $10,000. Man. Am I happy? I'd say yes. I find lots of ways to have fun and live hand to mouth. Uh, You never really know what you can live without until you rid your life of stuff. When I host visitors at our place it pretty much blows people's minds. Uh, my wife and I take up three rooms in our building and we try to make the most of our space and not hang on to extra books clothes etc for too long. Uh, your show in happiness and money your show on happiness and money asks some good questions I'm a regular listener and then he signed off peace Chris
0: Peace Chris
2: so you left out his Michelle Shocked quote he has a quote from singer-songwriter Michelle Shocked. Who apparently once said, if you ever want to, uh, if you ever want an adventure, live without cash. That's so true. That is an adventure. Yeah. Well,
0: thanks for writing in, Chris. You dirty hippie. Thank you uh, to everybody who took time to write in about um, dropping out of the rat race or just never joining in some cases. Um, and uh, let's see, Chuck, do you want to hear about anything specific from
2: people? For this week? Uh-huh. No, I want people to go to Kiva.org and join our team.
0: Yeah, how about that? Why don't you uh, write in and let us know uh, if you've joined, if you see anybody that you think uh, we should focus our attention on. Let's let's do all things Kiva this week. Yeah. Send it in an email to me and Chuck and Jerry at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more stuff works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?
2: Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo.